Welcome. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. We are doing the ultimate weigh-in show today, and man, did they have us sweating right up to the final bell here uh, as we had four fighters tread onto the scale with about five minutes left. One of them makes weight, and he is honestly the most important one, Alex Pereira, finally making weight there. Uh, 184.7, I believe it was the exact number, and then it was followed up by three other weight misses. Not as significant, obviously, but still, at least the fight card remains intact with those weight misses. That's the most important thing. But before we get into the actual show, I want to give a quick shout out to everybody that checked out the MMA Lawcast earlier uh, this week. Uh, doing solid numbers. Appreciate all the love and support. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already on that video as well as this one here. But a big, big shout out to all the loyal supporters that we've had over the last four plus years of this platform now we finally cracked that six thousand subscriber mark that was very big and very important for me it seemed like i was treading that six thousand mark for the last three weeks i'm not sure what youtube was doing to me in terms of not allowing me to go over that six thousand mark but finally we hit it this week and i gotta thank you know obviously ufc 281 big pay-per-view weeks usually means big numbers for the content that we put out so appreciate every single one of you guys showing your boys some love and support throughout the years but we got a very special guest joining us for this ultimate weigh-in show. And uh, I've been following the guy for a while, at least the work that he's been doing uh, over the last several years. The guy's been a veteran of the game, been all over the place. Uh, just recently found out that he uh, used to live in my birthplace as well, up here in Hamilton, Ontario. But I'm now uh, a Toronto man, as I like to tell him. But he's going to tell you different. Let's just remember that I'm a Toronto man. So that's what all I want to say. Uh, let me bring in my guest here. He is a digital content co creator for Severe MMA, as well as a staff writer for the UFC news team. Shout out to my guy, E. Spencer Kite. Spencer, what's going on, my dude? Listen, you're a Toronto guy. Brampton is Toronto guy. The conversation. <laughs> GTA. GTA. The con yeah, exactly. The conversation we had is it centers around GTA. So if you're officially part of GTA, then cool. It's just growing up as an Ontario guy. I had friends in Hamilton that would do the like, yeah, we're GTA. It's like, no, man, we are Hamilton. We are separate. And then when you start going north on that 400, you can't, you know, you hit a certain point where it's like, if you're in Vaughn, I don't know if you're, you're repping Toronto. <laughs> Anything past Vaughn. Anything I'd past say. Vaughn. It's like, you got to yeah. just, you know. Like Vaughn North or uh, Milton, yeah. if you go west, yeah. or uh, Scar, actually, there's, Scarborough there's checkpoints, especially. there's like yeah. markers, there's exactly if you're Markham, you're not Toronto man's either, right? That's not GTA. <laughs> I right? agree. So, I agree. Shout out to uh, shout out to all the uh, the Torontonians and GTAians that we got in the uh, the live chat here. Uh, Spencer, uh, I'm gonna get you to take off your gambling and betting and, and predictions cap for a second here and just look at it straight up from a fan's perspective. We got a big pay-per-view card this weekend, right? UFC 281, two title fights headlining the card, not to mention a couple other fun fights sprinkled throughout it, besides the top three fights. As a hardcore fan, a guy that's been covering this sport for 10 plus years, what fight has you most excited for this weekend? I mean, there's a bunch. Like, this is, to me, the best card of the year, top to bottom. Like, everything on here is going to be entertaining. Everything should be good times from the get-go. Like... You want to give me Dominic Reyes and Ryan Spann? I'm in. Could be crazy. Have no idea what to expect from Dominic Reyes. You mentioned off the jump, a couple of people missed weight at the end. Ryan Spann being one of them. He'll take his two hours. We'll see if he can get that. I think it's like half a pound that he's got to get rid of. That's a big one. Molly McCann coming back. 
facing Aaron Blanchfield, who is a, a New Yorker, who's 3-0 and in the UFC, to me, one of the best prospects in the sport. Um, this is just like any fight on this card. I'm, I'm in, I'm pumped from, I'm pumped to start like right out the gate, Carlos Olberg and Nick Negomarianu. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm a big Nego Mariano fan. I never thought I'd say that, especially after he lost his UFC debut to Sapper Bag Safra. But here we are, four-fight winning streak, and he's still going out there and, and doing the damn thing. So uh, according to Aiden Smo here, there is no two-hour allowance for no. uh, Ryan Span to make the way. I believe it was just the championship fights. Yes, Fair that's enough. what it is that he's saying here. So Ryan Span officially making uh, missing weight, especially, uh, or sorry, as as well as Mike Trezano and uh, and uh, who's the other guy? Ryan Span. Nego Mariano was the other one. And uh, Nego Mariano, yeah, Nego Mariano made, yeah. <clears throat> dropped, so, uh, sorry, dropped, the oh, skivvies, so dropped the skivvies and made weight. Yeah, 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 exactly. He came in point two over and then he dropped yeah. it. Uh, so sorry, it was only two guys that missed right. it. I apologize. I was spreading some misinformation there. I apologize, guys. All right. Uh, appreciate every single one of you guys in here already. Detective Allen, what's going on, my brother? My guy, the Jewish better in the chat as well. Andrew, I see you in here as well. Appreciate you stopping by. My guy, Brandon Olivas, fresh off his million-dollar win the other week. Appreciate you stopping by as well, my friend. All right, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Usually we go from prelims up, but we're going to work with the best fight first, the, the top of the bill first, and then we'll work our way down. So first, or actually last fight on the card, and, and first fight that we're going to be talking about here, middleweight championship, uh, Spencer. We got Israel Adesanya looking to defend his title for the sixth time, and he could also tie... Uh, Anderson Silva in terms of most consecutive middleweight wins at 13 should he get his hand raised here. So uh, legacy on the line, or at least legacy aspects on the line here, not just a title. Uh, Adesanya obviously coming in right at that championship weight of 185 pounds. Alex Pereira scooching in right at the end there, makes weight at 184.6. In terms of odds, we got minus 210 on Adesanya and plus 180 on Alex Pereira. I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. How do you think these guys match up? Uh, and ultimately, who do you think gets their hand raised? I mean, I think they match up. It's interesting, and it'll especially be interesting over the first, to me, 10 minutes. So those first two rounds, I think, is going to tell us everything we need to know. And and for me, it's going to be, one, whether Alex Pereira can find some of those big shots that he's known for, that he's put dudes out with already in the UFC, and before that in kickboxing including Israel and whether we see some variation to Izzy's game. I think we will. I think this is a fight where we see the mixed martial artist in Israel, as opposed to just the martial artist. I think he uses everything that's at his disposal. I think we see him wrestle. I think we see him look for takedowns at least at the very least get in on some fit-ins and, and look for some trips and some body locks and things of that nature to just wear out Alex Pereira. Right. That weight cut is not easy. Like, made weight, great. Thank you. We didn't have any chaos to deal with. Yeah. But, like, we see him beforehand. He's gigantic. It is a hard cut every single time. And if you're Izzy and could go in there and just be like, cool, man, we're going to sprint out to the third or fourth round, and I'm still going to be fine because I've done this a bunch. Let's go. And so in terms of, like, how this works out, I think Izzy gets the win. I think he's the more complete fighter. And I think he shows that. I think that becomes the piece of this. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of, let me just steal from what Jan Blahowicz did to me and apply this to this dude who's coming up here and just wants to, just wants to strike, right? For Pereira, it needs to be a kickboxing match. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Izzy get some takedowns. He's always talked about wanting to get a submission in the UFC. I wouldn't be surprised to see him chase it. I wouldn't be surprised if you and I chase it as a bet because the number is huge. So just a little something to just maybe, but like I'll, I'll, yeah, just, you know, just in case. Plus just maybe, Yeah, just maybe. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think he gets it done. Yeah, uh, but before I jump into my breakdown here, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the difference in gloves here, right? Obviously, they competed twice before in kickboxing. Now they got smaller gloves here in mixed martial arts. Who do you think that benefits? The power punching of Alex Pereira or the finesse and technical aspects of uh, Adesanya's striking game? I think there's elements of it for both, right? The power for for Pereira is certainly, if he's putting you out with great big kickboxing gloves, now he's just got four ounces on there. And so it's, it's moving quicker. It's hitting cleaner. It can do some damage. We saw Sean Strickland, terrible game, terrible game plan, notwithstanding, but it was, it was ugly. But I do think that there's some elements for Izzy where it's like, look, man, that, that was then, as he said in the buildup, right? That was then. And you had to worry about essentially two or three things. I might punch you. I might kick you maybe I elbow you. Now you got a whole bunch of stuff to deal with. And so I don't even know that it's necessarily the gloves and the power as it's just those split second decisions that actually take away some of the power from Alex Pereira because he can't be as aggressive and quick as he normally would be. Yeah, uh, in regards to the the uh, Sean Strickland fight, though, terrible game plan for him, but perfect game plan for me as a guy with money on Alex Pereira that night. That's all I want to say. Uh, in regards to this matchup, though, <clears throat> I agree with a lot of the things that you're saying, but I do think that this is going to be one of those spots where Izzy uses the threat of the takedown more towards advantage than actually looking to land those takedowns, right? Changing levels, you know, shooting in on the hips, maybe half-assed so that he has Alex Pereira thinking about that, and then he can let go on his punches after that. Uh, the, the couple of things that I took from the kickboxing matches was, you know, a couple of things we already knew. Alex Pereira hits very hard, right? Like, even when he doesn't knock out Israel Adesanya, he's throwing big shots and he's landing, uh, but most of the stuff are or most of the punches are landing on the gloves because of the kickboxing, uh, the gloves that they had. Uh, whereas Israel, he seemed to be a little bit more disciplined, what we're used to, right? Like the guy likes to throw combinations. He doesn't throw pot shots. He doesn't throw one and doneers. He goes out there and looks to land three, four, five strikes on you with every single combination. And I think that will benefit him more with MMA gloves than they will kickboxing gloves because he doesn't have to worry about half of his shots only landing on the gloves. He can split the guard of Israel or of Alex Pereira. He can go around the guard of him as well too. So uh, I, I'm very intrigued to see how that aspect of this fight is going to play out, but I think it ultimately ends up benefiting uh, Israel Adesanya. Uh, I do think that his finesse, his discipline, and just his experience inside the octagon is going to be too much here for Pereira. And of course, Pereira has that chance, like anybody does, to turn out the lights of his opponent. Uh, but I just think that Izzy is just too disciplined for this, right? We've seen in numerous fights now that he doesn't mind just dilly-dallying on the outside and just winning fights. And if Alex Pereira is not going to bring the fight to him... Izzy's going to be fine to just sit on the outside and just chop away at his legs. Like, he's going to be completely okay with that. The dynamic of this fight that's most intriguing to me, though, is uh, the size of Alex Pereira, right? Like, when we saw Izzy fight somebody relatively his size in Jan Blahovic, we saw Blahovic get into the target and actually outstriking Israel Adesanya in those first couple rounds, which a lot of people were surprised by. Uh, of course, Alex Pereira can do the same thing here. 
but I'm I'm thinking that maybe Izzy already has a beat on this guy since they've already competed in the past, right? I think the fight was about six years ago, five, six years ago, both of the fights that they had. Uh, but yeah, I, I do lean to Izzy's side. I'm not really too keen on it from a betting perspective as I think the odds are, they're accurate. Like there is no yeah. edge there in my opinion, right? They're accurate where they are. The experience uh, and all the cage time that Izzy already has is a vast uh, advantage for him in this matchup. So give me the Izzy side. I'm thinking, I, I like what you said. I think he, you know, puts his foot on the throttle immediately and uh, tries to tire it up Pereira and then tries to finish him in rounds three, four, five. Maybe it leaks into a decision. But uh, if you have access to one of those books that has that round four, five decision prop, I'd be all over that. I think that's where we see Izzy get the majority of his work done here. All right. Anything else you want to add on this? No, I was just going to say, yeah, that that's that's exactly what I think. That's that's sound advice. As Perfect. always from you. Let's, oh, let's be oh, th Thanks, Spencer. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Let's get to this co-main event. Another title on the line here. It takes place in the women's strawweight division. Both women, Carlos Esparza and Wiley Zhang, or Zhang Wiley, I should say, uh, weighed in at 114.8 pounds. And I believe they were like the first five fighters uh, on the scale uh, this morning. So good work from them to not make us sweat out whether we're going to only have one title fight or not. Uh, in regards to the odds, we got minus. 325 on Zhang Wali and plus 270 on Carla Esparza. Uh, I honestly expected Zhang to be closer to four, minus 400, which there are a couple websites that do have that. Um, but I see the threat here from Carla Esparza, man. Like she is, you know, she always gets disrespected by the betting community. She has been an underdog eight times in her UFC career, but she's come through six times. She's cashed as an underdog six times. I was on her three of those times against Alexa Grasso, Yan Zhaonan, and Marina Rodriguez. Was I sweating the whole time? You betcha. I was. Of course I was. But we knew that she was going to eventually land those takedowns, get that top control that she needed, and take home that judge's decision. Now, the difference here between those three fighters that I named that she beat compared to Zhang Wali is I think that Zhang has made legitimate improvements to her grappling game, right? Obviously, the whole narrative over the last couple of fights is that she was working with Henry Suhudo. The guys over there are fight ready. She's been splitting time over there in Thailand now with Bangtan Muay Thai as well. Uh, so I think that her grappling should hold up at least for two rounds. Should this go deeper, though, then I think everybody who parlay Zhang Wali and every single ticket of their parlay, um, they're going to start sweating. Because I think that's where the majority of the power from Zhang starts to dissipate. That's where I think that we'll see that uh, that Carla Esparza grindy, grappling, wrestling style really start to work and be very effective. So... I will possibly look for a live betting opportunity on Carla should this fight reach the third round, but I'd be surprised if it even goes that far. Uh, I think Zhang just obliterates her within the first seven minutes of this fight. It might even look like the Jessica Andrade fight. You know what I mean? Where she just goes in there and just goes berserk and gets her out of there in 45 seconds. I think her firepower is too much. I think her uh, takedown defense will be good enough early in the early going. With that said, I don't feel comfortable with the minus 320 money line because I think that Carlos Esparza is much liver than those odds indicate. Right. So what I look to put my money on instead was the inside the distance. Why not? Zhang to win inside the distance is plus 100. People can say, why don't you take plus 120 on the knockout prop and just get you know 20 cents extra on that? But we've seen weird things in the sport, Spencer. Club and sub is absolutely there uh, for, for uh, Zhang if she wants to take that approach. Freaking Yuri Prohaska tapped out Glover to share, right? That's right. the only right. example I need to put out there for people being greedy with the, with the specific props here. Uh, another one that kind of burned me in the past, I believe it was 
I could be off here. UFC 227, uh, Darren Till versus uh, Tyron Woodley. I bet Tyron Woodley by knockout. And he wants to go out there and dar stroke a motherfucker? Are you kidding me? Come on, Tyron. But, uh, yeah, Zhang inside the distance, plus 100. Sign me up. I think we get a new in the Coleman event. What are you thinking here, Spencer? Yeah, I, I was getting nervous there. I, it sounded like you were leaning Carlos Esparza and you were going to come at, come at me with the like, look, I think we're going to get an Esparza win late and I was going to be floored. But yeah, I, I think this looks a lot like, I mean, I feel bad for Carla Esparza. She is a, a strong-willed, mentally sharp, like you see her when she walks out. It's the death face. Yeah. She ain't worried about anything. But if she's not having flashbacks to UFC 185 right now, Ooh. I... Right. Like that's what this feels like. First yeah. title defense, and yep. you're in there with a monster, and that monster is a big favorite and can beat you kind of any which way she wants. I think it's just a superior athlete. The good thing about Carla, and you mentioned it, she will wrestle until she can't stand up anymore and she'll chain stuff together. And it's not one look, it's okay, this didn't work. Let me switch. She doesn't get stuck on anything. And if we do get late, as you said, then this gets really interesting. And then that that's when you're looking at live lines and, and stuff like that. But I don't think we get there either. I just think the athleticism, the power, just the sheer physicality of Zhang Weili wins this, as you said, inside of two rounds. Yeah. Uh, the, the one point that I forgot to bring up was uh, the Rose Nami Yunus fight for Zhang, right? Like if we go back and watch that, the fifth round, she gets a takedown within a minute of that that round starting and there's nothing Zhang can do to get back to her feet that that was very uh, discouraging especially if you're looking at this fight but I think a lot of that had to do with the exhaustion at that point in time and talk about the last round of a 25 minute fight um, hopefully we don't need to see the third round here and Zhang can get it done nice and early and in regards also to the uh, UFC 185 matchup that you were talking about uh, Yuani and Jacek nobody knew her back then they're like why is this Polish woman that was that the week like that she Poland? told us don't worry about learning my don't worry about learning my last name you could just yeah. call me joanna champion exactly and we were like cool uh, that's a good sound bite and then she went out and became and joanna it. champion yeah uh the odds for that fight minus 160 for carlos Sparza there and plus 140 for joanna so uh never did we see Joanna at that price tag again uh but yeah cra crazy crazy night especially with rda pulling off the upstart in the main event again against uh anthony pettis that night 185 uh, it didn't have a lot of hype going into that card, I remember, but I remember afterwards the, the fallout was tremendous there. All right, let's get to the next fight here. Uh, third fight from the top, big fight in the lightweight division. We got Michael Chandler coming in at 155.8 pounds. Dustin Poirier looking nice and chiseled at 156 pounds. In terms of odds, we got minus 215 on the diamond Dustin Poirier and plus 185 on iron Michael Chandler. Spencer, I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. Uh, what are you thinking about this battle between, in my opinion, two non-relevant ranked guys and i mean like they shouldn't be getting title shots after this do you share that sentiment but and 100%. then obviously how yeah. do you uh how do you see this fight going down yeah 100 percent. them and and justin gaethje can be on an island by themselves over here just this completes the round robin amongst the three of them and they can just keep fighting fights like this i'd be perfectly <laughs> okay with it don't need to see the winner of this call out islam Hashev. like let's let benil Dariush get a shot Alex Volkanovsky wants to get a shot. Great. Let's let people that are fighting actual contenders and guys that are moving up continue to move forward. In terms of this, like, I just, I don't have a real good read on how this plays out because 
Michael Chandler's kind of a lunatic. We saw him be a lunatic last year in Madison Square Garden where he was just like, I don't really care about winning. I'm just going to come out here and get into an absolute slobber knocker with Justin Gaethje. Corey is a little less rambunctious in that way. He's a little more focused. But I don't know that he's a two-to-one favorite over Mike Chandler. Like, just feels like one of those ones for me where it's, it's a bit of a stay away and just enjoy the chaos of it. Like, sure, there's some props in there you could probably get a good number on. Maybe you check it out as you're going live and see just sort of betting on the momentum of things. But I think this is going to be a chaos fight. I think it's going to be wildly entertaining. And I have no real good sense of how this plays out. Uh, I do want to quickly just trip back at my guy, Aiden Samoa here. He's saying non-relevant. What I mean by that is, <laughs> like, uh, Spencer said it perfectly, man. These guys are just fighting each other just because they have names. Like, they don't really deserve title shots, in my opinion. That's what I meant. Like, obviously, they're relevant in the fact that they're still popular fighters. But I just mean in terms of the title picture, I, I really just don't see it. Like, they've gotten their chances, multiple chances. Let's let the new crop of guys go out there and get their shot as well. I think the best way to actually go about it would be the winner of this fight to fight um, Benio Darius for the number one contender because we know we're likely getting that super fight in February, yeah. right? So why not, you know, take up a little bit of that time? Benio doesn't seem too apt in terms of like calling for a title shot. Give me whoever, I'll fight 15 times before I get a title shot. You're going to get that in your next fight if that's how you keep talking. So, um, yeah, how I see this fight, I, I do agree with you. The, the line, a little bit too wide here. Uh, earlier in the week, it was minus 175 for Dustin Poirier. And then 24 hours later, I ended up jumping to minus 210. And that's where my interest in terms of betting Dustin Poirier started to fall off. I'm like, you know what? Now the number is a little bit too wide. Michael Chandler has that explosiveness, has that early knockout power that he can put on his opponents and get them out of there. Durability-wise, Dustin Poirier has looked fine. Like, he hasn't really been put out cold since, I believe, the Michael Johnson fight right. way back in the day. Um, so that seems fine. If he can mind his P's and Q's, if he can stay defensively sound here, I think he beats Michael Chandler to the punch more often than not, especially as his fight starts to drag on. And I think he just puts on a similar, like, outboxing type clinic like he did against, like, Dan Hooker or like right. he did against... Um, uh, Dustin, uh, sorry, uh, Justin Gaethje from uh, a couple years back as well. I think that's what it ends up looking like. If Michael Chandler wants to go into his bag of tricks and try to go to his wrestling, maybe that's a path to victory for him here. But we've seen him time and time again, Spencer, talk about, you know, when I got signed to the UFC, I just wanted to create entertaining fights. We, Of, of course we want to win, but I don't care if I win. I don't care if I lose. I just want to walk out with either an extra bonus or, uh, you know, just worth fans saying, oh my God, what a fight. And it's kind of been a detriment to his... Um, to his case to to be a legitimate top lightweight, but he's also a, a very entertaining guy. And as fans, what can we say uh, other than that, that, that we're very uh, excited every time he steps in the cage. So uh, we're both going Dustin Poirier, but I do think that we both believe that the line is just a little bit too wide for any action there. All right, let's get to the next matchup. And big storyline going into this one, we got Frankie the Answer Edgar, hopefully making his last trip to the octagon because we don't need one of these switcheroo on you where we think you're gone. And then you're Shout like, oh. out to my guy, Sean Sheehan, who when they announced that this is his retirement fight, will in fact tweet. I'm telling you guys now, follow at Sean Sheehan BA. 
And when they say something about Frankie's retirement fight, Sean will tweet out the words, I look forward to his next one. <laughs> Shout out to Sean Ian. Uh, she had a, a, an OG of the game as well. Uh, but yeah, that that's the thing, man. Like Alexander Gustafson, he's like three fights post-retirement now, right? Like there's just uh, guys that just keep coming back when they shouldn't. But Frankie, hopefully nobody throws him the bag. Maybe Jake Paul wants to just scavenge on his dead body or something like that. But I think they are just, he is way too big for Frankie Edgar to begin with. Um, in regards to this matchup, uh, the odds, you obviously have Chris Gutierrez favored uh, here given his youth advantage and given the streak that he's currently on. He's sitting at minus 230, plus 195, the return on Frankie Edgar here. Now, uh, a different storyline kind of going into this matchup is the Chris Gutierrez side of things. Uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people heard, obviously, his coach going through a lot of health issues. Shout out to my guy, Mark Montoya, a mainstay of the coach's main event marathon as well. Love that guy. Uh, best wishes to him. I know he, I think he's already gotten out of the hospital hospital but he still has a couple more things that he has to deal with i'm not 100 percent sure if he's actually going to be able to make it to the to, to to coach him this weekend i don't think he will given everything that's going on but that's an extra sense of motivation for for chris gutierrez to go out there and try to get the w here over the biggest opponent that he's faced to the state or at least biggest named opponent he's uh faced and one thing that you'll notice about chris especially during his run in the apex uh during this COVID era he gives a lot of thanks and a lot of praise to uh, Mark Montoya whenever he wins fights. He brings him into the interview with him and he holds on to him. That's a big source of motivation for him. So got to believe that he wants to go out there and get this big dub. Stylistically speaking, I could see how he wins this fight, right? That patented calf kick that he likes to throw out there. I'm sure Vince Morales is still writhing in pain anytime we bring that up. But Chris Gutierrez can chop your leg off. He can make you immobile. And that's going to cause Frankie Edgar a lot of issues because that's his game. He likes to bounce around. He likes to throw output on you. He likes to land some takedowns. Not the greatest in terms of controlling guys on the ground, but he can land multiple takedowns and keep doing that over and over again until the things that he used to rely on way back at UFC 125 against Gray Maynard, the things that he used to rely on against, you know, uh, Frankie Edgar at UFC 118 was the durability, right? He could take shots on the way in so that he can get his game off, but he can't do that anymore, man. The guy's been knocked out in three of his last four fights. Not a good look, in my opinion. Chris Gutierrez, not a huge power puncher, but I think the more confidence that he starts to grow, especially getting these finishes the way that he is, I think we'll see start to sit down on those punches a little bit more, especially after crippling the lead leg of his opponent. So I think that's what we that he does here. I personally got in on the truck around minus 200 earlier this week. Minus 230 is starting to get a little bit out of hand because Frankie, if he can get his wrestling game going, can make things very interesting. But I think this is another situation similar to the Zhang Wali spot where you can bet Chris Gutierrez inside the distance. I, I as, as much as I love Frankie, I just don't think he can take many shots on the chin anymore. So uh, I'll go Gutierrez. Gutierrez inside the distance. If you want to throw him into a parlay, go for that as well. But I can see the argument for Frankie as well. And I'm not going to kick you off the, the stream here, Spencer, if you go with Frankie. I won't, I won't hate you for it. But uh, let me know. Let me know what your thoughts are on this matchup. I mean... Does it make it better if I acknowledge it as pure bias and pure heart to be going Frankie? Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, like, listen, the most respected dude in the sport by his, yeah. by his peers, you won't find anybody that will say a bad word about him. It's fighting at home. It's one last ride. Like we've been heartbroken by so many of these, so many of the people that we came up watching that are now aging out. And it makes me feel old as can be. Oh, yeah. Having just turned 44, I know you just celebrated a birthday as well yeah. very recently. And every every single one of those that ticks by and you see one of your guys be like, nah, I'm too old for this. It's like, 
am I too yep. old for this? <laughs> but like, I, I, you know, the heart side of me wants to see one more for Frankie and wants yeah. exactly what you said, right? Chris Gutierrez throws those low kicks, grabs one, he runs them down, puts them on the canvas, manages to keep them there. We get a 29, 28, Frankie gets a win. We all go home happy. Is it likely? No. Is, are the odds okay for it? You know, if you're not spending anything too serious, then yeah, absolutely. It's worth a little taste just to maybe feel real good about it. Cause I don't want to bet on feeling really bad. That's been, that's been my read of it. The money line on Gutierrez to me is a little bit too wide. Um, as good as he's been over these last seven unbeaten in his last seven, three straight wins. It hasn't been against, and like Frankie Edgar isn't Frankie Edgar anymore, but he's still a pretty good, like, until we see him, for me, it's a, until I see him beat by a Chris Gutierrez, it's hard for me to envision him getting really soundly beaten by Chris Gutierrez. And the, the inverse is true as well. Until Chris beats one of these guys that's further up the line at bantamweight, it's hard for me to see him going out there and doing it. And so mostly I'm just sentimental and nostalgic and hoping not to be, to be left you know, with the single tear running down my face that Frankie's done and lost in front of his kids and his family and all like that and things like that. But as you said, with, with Mark Montoya, who is just an absolute terrific coach, terrific human being, you also want to see that, that uplift for, for Chris, for factory X, for the Montoya family. I know Mark is in good spirits. He's, you know, if you go and check out his IG about everything that's going on with him, what a G, the end of it, right? he's walking around and he's just like, <laughs> I mean, I texted him yesterday and was like, you know, thinking about you and hope everything's okay. And he's like, we got this. Don't worry. And it's like, all right, well, if you're, if you're cool, then I can't be anxious. So <laughs> yeah. you can understand both sides of it. And, you know, somebody's going home heartbroken and yeah. I just, you know, get in where you can and, and just keep it for me. It's, it's keep it real little. So that I'm not betting against my guy going out and breaking my heart, but I'm also not being wild and thinking Frankie Edgar is suddenly back to being Frankie Edgar. Yeah, uh, I, I I really resonate with what you're saying in terms of like I feel like we're getting old in this sport as well, right? I, I like you said I I just turned 31 myself, but I feel like I've been watching the sport just for so a goddamn baby. long. I'm just a baby, but like I remember the days where we used to be mystified at John Jones being so young, but now here he is finally, you know, cracking the 30s and all that stuff, and we're like, oh. Now he's just wasting his prime, dilly-dallying over there in New Mexico, doing God all, you know what I mean, when he could probably have been one of the biggest stars that we've ever seen. Uh, but just putting on that reminiscing hat here, what was one of your favorite memories of Frankie Edgar during his run? Like, what's one thing where you're going to be like, if somebody asks about Frankie Edgar, this is what you would tell them? So I feel fortunate that I have, like, an amazing Frankie Edgar story. So Heavy. after UFC 194, where Conor McGregor wins the featherweight title, we all there. go back into the, we all go back into the media room. We're all hanging out and waiting for, this is the day when they still did like full blown press conferences where yeah. everybody comes out and whatever. And so media is all kind of milling about and there's usually fighters and coaches and different people back there. And Frankie had fought, I believe he had fought Chad Mendes the night before. Yeah. Two nights before. Yeah. Two nights. Or the night before. The night before. Been... Two nights before was Rose and, and I was Paige at Van that Zandt. one as well. Yeah. yeah, Rose and Paige Van Zant. I had food poisoning and did not leave. The oh hotel no! Room. <laughs> yeah, made it to that the Frank card. Uh, made it to the Frankie Ferguson Edgar. That, I think as well, but continue. Sorry. Yeah, that was the Frank. That was the Frankie and Chad. That was the Edson Barbosa yeah. fight. Yeah, amazing. Very exhausted at that card, but made it because I had to see those fights. Of course. So Frankie's in the back, and of course, right? 
he's up there. He's a contender. He's fought for the belt before already. Got to get his thoughts on this. That guy just knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. So we go over, hey, how's it going? And we get some questions and everybody gets the recorders out. And somebody asked, like, what do you think? Like, and he does the right thing, right? Can't, how do you fault Conor McGregor for knocking out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds? He can't be like, ah, he's a bum. Yeah. But then he says, but I got a feeling his reign's going to be short. And I just kind of looked at him and was like, I think I've heard that before, maybe even last night at some point. And he just looks at me and starts laughing because he and I got it right away. The start of kicking the door is your reign on the top is short like leprechauns. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the intro, the lead for my story wrote itself. And yeah. it's, I get to drop biggie quotes. Hey. And Frankie gets to have a biggie moment based on his walkout it didn't work out we never got to see them fight but like that's who frankie was he was sitting there holding court and just have a have a laugh with you sharp as can be gets all the jokes makes all the jokes great great dude as you said at the at the start of this i hope this is one where it's like this is the end go be with the family go hang out in tom's river go make pizzas with mark just kick it <laughs> just just relax and then come get that Hall of Fame jacket in a year or two. Yeah, there, there's no way this guy does not go into the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, just just a tremendous career, not to mention, you know, winning a title two weight classes above the weight that he should have actually just been fighting. No at business. It's crazy. No, exactly. No business. And he's just going out there and just doing the damn thing. Um, regards to myself, I, I had one run in with, with Frankie, and this was way back during UFC 129 fight week up here in Toronto. Uh, big fight week. We had the fan expo as well. So they had like all the champions come out. They had that crazy champion uh, uh, press conference where they had all the champions on the stage. Um, but this was uh, during one of the press conference, or sorry, one of the days where you were supposed to be at the, the fan expo. He he was late and I was helping out the UFC at the time. And I was at the, the fighter hotel, just helping out Heidi Dean, one of my favorite people that works for the, the team over there. And she goes, oh, uh, Frankie needs to be at the expo. Do you mind driving him there? I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Like, I'm, of course I'm in, let's do it. So me, me and Frankie are speeding on over from the Western Hotel over to the uh, the Toronto Convention Center or the Energy Care Center, I believe it's called now. And uh, he goes, yeah, man, I, I slept in a little bit. I, I apologize. So I'm like, dude, it, I'm all good. I'm just starstruck that you're sitting in my car in my passenger seat right now. You're the lightweight champion and you're sitting in my car right now. I don't, I, I, I don't understand what's going on. I apologize for my shitty Mazda 3 right now, but it's fine. I appreciate you uh, being in my car. But no, very, very solid, dude. I think we talked about like, you know, places to eat and stuff and places for him to check out in Toronto was a very humble dude, very cool dude. Uh, but yeah, that was the, the the best Frankie Edgar and the only Frankie Edgar story I have. The only other one I have, actually, it didn't even include him, but it was meeting Benson Henderson with Malky Kawa back in the day. And uh, right before Benson was supposed to fight Frankie, I'm like, go take the title, dog. Go take go take the title. I was a, I was a Benson Henderson fan. I apologize. I'm a huge Bendo fan. And thankfully, he went to Japan and, and captured that title at UFC 144. So I was happy about that. But uh, happy retirement for Frank Yeager. Hopefully, it's with both of his legs intact this weekend. But I can't say that to be sure. All right. 
Curtain jerker for the main card coming up here. We got Dan the Hangman Hooker looking healthy and happy as hell, making 155.8 pounds this morning. And Claudia Poyas coming in at 155.2. In terms of odds, we got minus 150 now on Dan Hooker, plus 130 on Claudio Poyas. Before I tee this up to you, Spencer, I just want to quickly talk about the, the line movement here because Dan Hooker actually opened up as a minus 200 favorite, got bet as as far down as minus 139 from what I saw. And now the action finally coming back in on him at minus 157. So I'll, I'll lob it up to you here, my friend. What do you think? Does uh, does Dan Hooker turn the tides? He's on a one and four run in his last five fights. Or does uh, Claudio Poya snatch up another knee bar and continue this meme-ish run that he's on? I'm sorry to call it a meme run, but knee bar and folks at the high, highest level, not 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 the best of things, but uh, what do you think here? Get all of that Dan Hooker money, <laughs> every lap. And I mean, look, we've been wrong many times in the past. You, me, please, you know, it's been a bad run for me. Like a lot of people over over the last bunch of fights, lots of favorites not doing well, and and lots of like, hey, go get in on this, and it doesn't work. Go get in on the Dan Hooker money. Don't don't just look at one and four. Look at who he fought. Don't just look at Claudio Poyas on a five-fight winning streak. You're not, this ain't WWE. You don't get signature finishers. He's not, he's not knee-barring. And I mean, look, if he knee-bars Dan Hooker, then Jesus. <laughs> hey, both of us are going to have egg yeah, on face. Jesus. Happens, it's all good. But I just don't, like, I just can't see it happen. And the level of Dan Hooker, we know what it is. This is a massive step up for Claudio Poyas with all due respect to the carpenter, Clay Guida. And a, and a good, gritty fighter in Chris Gritzmacher. They aren't the same as Dan Hooker. And then if you really want to, like, help convince yourself, go and look and see what happened the last time Dan Hooker fought a fella that wants to try to play leg lock games. Ian Entwistle. Go and look up Ian Entwistle <laughs> and ask Ian Entwistle how his head feels after 97 elbows. Because you forget that Dan Hooker is six feet tall and has great big long arms on him. And can just sit up out of it and know how to do all of the right things to get his leg out of position. And listen, shouts to my guy, Harry Powell, for helping me understand grappling so much, so much better. It's not really that hard to like get your way out of a knee bar. It's just about not letting yourself get stuck there in the first place. Dan Hooker knows that. And as soon as Claudio Poyas, if he does try to do it, we'll just be like, cool, escape, smash. I don't even know that we get there. Like I can see this being Dan Hooker just coming out and being like, cool. I'm tired of people questioning whether I'm, I'm good anymore. I'm just going to beat the hell out of you in like 48 seconds and be out of here. Like if this looked like Alexandre Pantoja and Alex P Perez from a couple months ago, I would not be surprised. Just run across the cage. No, I don't want to touch gloves. You don't get to throw anything. I got to get home and take my bonus money with me. Get all of the Dan Hooker money. Get the finish. Get the finish round one if you'd like. Like that number being not at two minus 200, all the way in. 
Yeah, I was very surprised when I jumped in on uh, Dan Hooker earlier this week at minus 164 or minus 165 uh, that he ended up getting down to minus 145. And I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's a add a little bit more. Let's add a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's like what, what a lot of people do, especially when they have that much confidence on a fighter. If you continue to get a better price tag, just keep adding to it and it should be able to pay off, right? Like it, it doesn't happen often where you have such a confident pick and the line is moving against you. Um, but yeah, I, I feel just as good as Spencer does here on Dan Hooker uh, as Claudio tries these knee bars as he continues to get elbowed into oblivion I have to pull up one of my favorite clips from this past uh, season of the contender series but I felt I'm gonna feel exactly like this the entire time that's a problem finish this I need him to finish this I need my guy, Yanni, the Greek Corrales, to give that juju and that good energy to Dan Hooker here and get him to finish this fight. Uh, not saying that I'm heavily invested in, on the inside of the distance, but I think that just putting on a statement like that will remind folks how good Dan Hooker is, right? Everybody wants to shit on his jiu-jitsu game because Islam Mahachev sliced through him like butter and submitted him. Look what Islam Mahachev just did to the submission leader in the UFC. The lightweight champion. Beat the him. lightweight champion. Islam Ahadchev. And then, oh, wait, Spencer, apparently he has two other submissions on his or submission losses on his record. That's why we should bet that Claudio's pulled by by knee bar here. No, the second last submission loss that Dan Hooker has was 10 plus goddamn years ago. <laughs> I'm sure right. he is a much more well-rounded jiu-jitsu yes. player and MMA mix, or mixed martial artist now than he was 10 plus years ago. So, yeah, and then on the feet, I think it's completely night and day. You know, I mean, I, I don't believe in this Dan Hooker's wash narrative that is very you know, inconsiderate given his skill set. He's been on a two-fight losing streak and he's come back against Nazra Hackpress and beat that guy to bits over 15 minutes. Now he's in a similar situation when he's on a two-fight losing streak, coming back against a huge step down in competition. I'm expecting him to smash Claudio Poyas to bits. I'm hoping that it doesn't work out like when I had a lock of the night money on Philippe Silva several years back against Claudio Poyas. <laughs> where Claudio like, Poyas found that first knee bar. Oh my God. Hail Mary. Let me grab this knee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you Dude. tapped. I, I was at I was at a, a <laughs> I was at a bachelor party at a cottage and we had something to go out and do when that fight was on and I watched like the first round and a half I'm like all right let's cash this shit let's go do whatever the fuck we're gonna do then I come back and I look at my betting account I'm like why is this not cash and I look at my slip and it says lost I'm like the fuck and then I go on Twitter and then I see what the hell happened I'm like okay great like goddamn of course Philippe Silva fumbles the bag for me there but Dan Hooker for, for, for anybody not. for anybody watching that isn't Canadian bachelor party. At a cottage is the most Canadian summer <laughs> spring and summer statement you're ever gonna hear. Honestly, every every single every single one of us has been to a bachelor party at someone's cottage at some point in our lifetime. Dude, this was around the time where like Airbnb was really starting to pop off, and my friend found this cottage. It was like a, it was a mansion essentially. It was more of a mansion than a cottage than anything. And there was 15 of us there. And it was just an enormous house with this giant crop field in the back. But yeah, cottages, bachelor parties, hand in hand in Canada is what Spencer is trying to say up here. Yeah. Patio, right. keg, barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Done. All the meat. All the it's meat. There we go. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's get to the prelims now. Uh, headlining the prelims is a fantastic lightweight matchup here between Donato Moicano and Brad Rodell. They both make the 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 lightweight limit here. 155.8 for Moicano. 155.6 for Brad Rodell. In terms of odds, we got minus 125 on the Brazilian and plus 105 on the City 
kickboxing protege Brad Riddell. This is a fun fight, right? I think this one probably gives us some violence as well. Hanato Moikano, slick striker, but I obviously think that Riddell has the advantage in that aspect. Uh, but we've also seen Hanato Moikano drag guys to the ground and strangle them unconscious. And I think that's something that he could potentially do in this spot. Um, but the, the fight that sticks out to me the most is when Moikano fought Alexander Hernandez. He was struggling to get the takedowns in that uh, in the first round of that fight. And as that fight started to transpire on the feet, Hernandez was beating him to the punch. He was winning that first round. He won the first round on all three judges' scorecards. And then he gets bonked in that second round, gets club and subbed, and loses that fight. But I think that we'll see a little bit better uh, defense here from Brad Riddell, especially after that last uh, loss that Brad Riddell just had against uh, Jalen Turner. Similar archetype of fighter, right? Like a long, lanky guy that likes to wrap up some chokes. But I think that uh, I'm, I'm sure Brad has learned from that matchup. And I think he's too skilled of a kickboxer to get caught with something like that again. So I think we'll see Hanato look for takedowns early. I think they'll get stuffed. I think Brad will start to get more comfortable on the feet. And I think he eventually finds a finish later on in this matchup. I think five of his 10 MMA wins have now come by knockout. And I think that this is another one where he can add it to the total here. So uh, I, I lean Riddell. I see the danger from Oikano. So the, the spot that I'm looking at, haven't bet it yet, still considering it. A uh, fight doesn't go to decision, which is anywhere around minus 135 to minus 140, under 2.5 around minus 125. I'm liking that as well. No matter who ends up getting the finish here, hopefully we can cash that ticket. But in terms of a specific prediction, I'm going to go Riddell, Riddell via knockout. What are you thinking here, Spencer? I'm going Riddell as well. So I'm happy to hear that, that you see things for for the New Zealander as well for Quake as well, I like the decision. Moicano's kind of tough to put away at times. Um, Brad's not a he does have he does have some finishes certainly, but he's not always a guy that's out there like looking for. He's okay with getting into a twenty nine twenty eight and and banging it out. He starts a little slow at times. I'm not worried about a repeat of the Jalen Turner fight. Jalen Turner is an anomaly in this division. He's six foot four and has massive amounts of power and is figuring out how to be a six foot four fighter in the lightweight division. I worry about that last fight from Moicano against RDA where he just yeah. got absolutely pounded on. What does that do? Psyche wise, physical wise. It wasn't that long ago. RDA let off the gas in the fifth round just to be nice to his countrymen that took the fight on short notice and allowed him to keep fighting. And so I think we see another one of, well, the, the second of the four city kickboxing guys go out and just, even if it starts slow, find that rhythm, scramble well, avoid the danger, land the better shots throughout. I think he has a speed advantage. I think he, I think power wise, it's probably pretty comparable, but speed wise and just overall less mileage, go out, get a victory, whether it's inside the distance or not. I'm not sure. I don't mind the decision line at, at plus 275. Last time I saw it, but I think Brad Riddell gets it done. I like it. Glad we're on the same spot there. All right, let's get through the rest of these prelims in a nice, uh, efficient manner. Next up, we're going to be talking about a light heavyweight matchup uh, between the returning Dominic Reyes, who weighed in at 205. 0.4 and his opponent Ryan Spann, who unfortunately missed weight by 0.6%. Uh, according to the live chat, I believe people were talking about uh, him only getting fined 10% of his purse. Makes sense since he only missed by 0.6 pounds. Um, 
But uh, in terms of odds, you got Dominic Reyes minus two ten favorite here, plus one eighty the return on Ryan Span. Now Ryan uh, on a little bit of a roller coaster over his last five fights, exchanging wins and losses. Obviously, his last one he was able to snatch the neck of Iwan Kutilaba and take that on home with him. Uh, but he has a stiffer test here in Dominic Reyes, who you know changed up his training camp. Right, he was a guy that used to train with his brothers, who was who were also MMA fighters. Uh, we saw him spend time at Extreme Couture during this layoff as well. But it seems like he's settled in over there at uh, Tishara MMA and Fitness in Danbury, Connecticut, with two guys who are preparing for title fights of their own. Obviously, Alex Pereira, who fights later on in the night, and then Glover Teixeira, who's fighting next year or next month, sorry, uh, to try to recapture that 205-pound gold. But uh, I think that's a solid thing for him, man. Like, it's one thing to go to these super gyms and not get that catered uh, type of approach. I think he's getting that catered approach here uh, alongside other guys that are getting ready for the same... Um, for the same date, not to mention Wellington Terminal, another guy we're going to be talking about very shortly who trains at that gym. Uh, Dominic Grace at his best, great striking, uses his length very well, good combinations, great head kick. Uh, I think he has all the advantages here over Ryan Spann. My biggest holdup in terms of getting to the window with that minus 210 is what does that damage that he took in his last couple of fights do to him, right? Blahovich put him out and then absolutely starched by Yuri Prohaska last time that we saw him. I'm happy that he took the time off that he needed to recover, but we just never know if it just completely falls off a cliff. Um, you know, we'll never know until he actually steps in there. And Ryan Spann, big hitter, right? Doesn't have a, a whole lot of knockout victories on his on his record. He's more of a submission guy than anything, but he still has that big power to put on you. But looking at the way that Ryan Spann was uh, at the Wayans this morning, one of the more you know, least enticing uh, performances we've seen on the scale, right? Literally came out in his towel, for God's sakes, right? Usually guys have the courtesy of at least putting their undies on. This guy's like, nah, I'm coming right out of the sauna, towel on, let's get on the scale. Let's get over with this embarrassment of me missing weights and let's get out of there. He looked very drained. It looked like he was trying to make the weight up until the last minute. Couldn't do it. Maybe that affects his durability in this matchup as well. So the spot that I'm actually kind of looking at now after that is possibly the the Reyes via KO at plus 120. That might be a better way to approach it rather than hooking on to that minus 200 line. But uh, if Reyes even comes back looking like 80% of what he used to, I think he starts his Ryan Spam pretty easily here. What are your thoughts? So before Ryan Spam stepped on the scale in his towel, I really liked him as an underdog in this fight because I just Ooh. don't know. I don't have any of the, any of the, we don't have any of the answers, as you said, about Dominic Reyes. It's been well over a year since he last fought. He's been knocked out in his last two. Ryan Spann, as you said, it's usually submissions, but it's because he's knocking guys to the canvas with the giant bombs that are in each of his hands. Like physically speaking, this guy has all the talent in the world to be a world champion. He's just made some bad decisions in fights. And so I liked him a lot in this spot against the guy that's coming off three straight losses. Yes, to very good competition. Great competition at that. Three guys that have held gold the last three of the last four light heavyweight champions. The weight miss worries me a little bit. It makes me pause a little bit in terms of, you know, playing Ryan Span. I like the play that you're suggesting of now you go and get that plus money on Dom to get a finish. Um but if Ryan Span is, you know, if Ryan Span's okay, if that cut was, yep, it's always bad. He's a gigantic human being. Yeah. If he can rehydrate and he can get right between now and tomorrow night when they get out there, I like him as an underdog. I think this is a fight, like the obvious play, and it's probably, I haven't looked at it actually, is inside the distance, is probably a 
not great number, but still a worth 60. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fight to not See, go to decision. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not where that's that, that would be the, the, the suggestion, but it's just that number's too much. I just can't get on a Dominic Reyes money line when he hasn't fought in a year and a half and he's minus 200 and change and he's lost three straight. Like, and he's fighting a guy that can put him out. If he's not right, if Dom isn't right, Ryan Spang can put him out. And so this may end up being a stay away or like, let's see what happens as they're walk get a, get a read of them as they're walking out. And if Ryan Span looks okay, maybe get some underdog money in. But yeah, after after looking the way he looked and as dejected as he looked on that scale, the the Reyes to finish maybe maybe a very good play. Yeah, I'm hoping that we get him back at his full facilities and he looks even close to that potential that we had in him before because there's a lot of fun matchups for him at that top of that division, right? Jamal Hill, Magomed Ankalaev, uh, you know, even running it back with uh, Volkan Uzmir, I wouldn't have minded seeing that. But uh, yeah, a lot of great fights for him to have. Hopefully he can come back and uh, look close to that. All right, let's get to this next matchup, uh, one that we spoke about at the top of the show, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. We got a women's flyweight fight here between prospect or hot prospect I should say, uh, Aaron Blanchfield, who weighed in at 125 pounds, 125.4 for her opponent, Molly Meatball McCann. And odds are heavily in favor of Aaron Blanchfield here. She comes in at minus 390, plus 320, the return on Molly McCann. And I got to tell you, Spencer, when they first lined this matchup up, I was salivating. I was like, mm, finally, we get a good fighter to, to fade Molly McCann with that. But I, I was really hoping that the, the hype for Molly McCann, right? Two highlight reel knockouts, all, you know, bar stool all over her, all that type of stuff. I thought we were going to get a good enough betting line on Aaron Blanchfield, but here we are day before the fight. She's creeping up on minus 400. So I can't suggest betting in minus 400 in this spot. So the best way I like to go about it is looking at props. And I honestly think that she is a far superior grappler jiu-jitsu wise and i think that she could eventually work to find a submission in this spot right you're talking about a woman that has put miranda maverick in very compromising positions on the mat and although she was not able to get her out of there i'd be surprised if molly mccann can get out of those same positions that miranda maverick was put in my only hold up in terms of not putting aaron blanchfield into every single parlay is if she can't get this fight to the ground it looks a lot closer because as much as I want to hate on Molly McCann and as much as, you know, I've talked a lot of shit about her in the past just because I've just never really been a fan of hers. But she's improved her boxing, man. And I got to give her that credit. She can put the volume out there. She has good combinations. She has good footwork, all that stuff. So, yes, she can make this fight close if she can keep it upright. But I just don't see her being able to. It's one thing not being able to take down a woman like J.J. Aldrich, like Aaron Blanchfield went 0-4 on takedowns in that matchup. But I think that J.J. is one of those, those fighters that are always underrated like people don't give her the respect that she deserves she's a solid fighter she is a you know capable fighter especially with her boxing very uh smooth and crisp boxing combinations that's why she was able to take that first round off of aaron blanchfield but then when they got mixed up in that scramble that's where aaron latched onto the neck and got that finish but there is still a ton of room to grow for Aaron Blanchfield. She's 22, 23 years old, a ton of work that she still needs to do. But I think at this point in time, she's the far superior grappler. And she, if she can effectively get this fight to the ground, I think her submission prop, which currently sits at uh, plus 330, you can get plus 420 on FanDuel as well. I think that's a phenomenal number considering the skill gap I see once this fight hits the mat. So I'll go Blanchfield, Blanchfield by sub. I want nothing to do with the money line. Uh, as I teed up to you, Spencer, I want to get your take on this. Uh, I'm sure you watched some of the interviews and stuff during this week. There's a stoicism about Molly McCann this week. 
I just can't wrap my head around. Like normally she's just beating her chest and like, you know, getting all amped up and giving that aggro energy. But this week it's like, she knows something where she's like, I don't, I don't gotta say shit. I just gotta go in there and I'll knock this chick out. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> what do you make of it? And then ultimately, how do you see this fight going down? So I'm going to plug my guy, Zach Packlub from, from UFC.com did a phenomenal profile on Molly, went over to Liverpool, spent a bunch of time with her and that team. The whole team did. Um, and it's a phenomenal piece. You're not going to read a better story this week than Zach's piece on Molly. So go check it out in it. She speaks about learning to balance Molly McCann and Meatball Molly and them being two separate people. And there's a time to be Meatball Molly and it's when I'm in the gym and it's when I'm fighting and after I get a victory and everybody wants to celebrate. But then there's also the time when I have to just be me and I have to be selfish for myself and worry about my community and things like that. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that, right? She's in a moment now where she's she's created for herself all the things that she wanted, right? She, she got to this point by having success, she went into that fight with Gion Kim last year with her back against the wall, coming off two straight losses, needing to get a victory, needing to get that win in order to, you know, definitely secure another contract with the UFC. And it's just been build momentum off that. And that stuff, like as much as some people don't want to believe that momentum is real, you start having things go your way and you start getting that it just fills you with a confidence and it fills you with a belief. And so she then gets the win over Luana Carolina and London goes nuts. She then comes back in July and gets the win over Hannah Goldie even faster, but with the same spinning back elbow and London goes nuts. She gets the bar stool deal. Her and Patty are, you know, blowing up here in North America as well. They're already stars at home, but are starting to get that here in North America. And so you start to just have that like belief that, I can go out and do this. I do belong here. It's a thing that I don't think we talk about enough with athletes is just understanding who they are and that they deserve to be here. They're capable of being here, kind of knowing themselves and having that. There's a difference between the bravado and I've got to put it on to convince everybody when they're actually just convincing themselves. And then as you're saying about Molly this week, where she's just like, I don't have to do any of the chest thumping. I've won three straight. I've got two straight knockouts. I know who I am. That being said, I think she loses to Aaron Blake. <laughs> I was in the same boat as you. Like as soon as this fight was announced, I was like, sweet, yeah. give me all of that Aaron Blanchfield money. Just yeah. all of it. Every last penny of it. And then she was minus 400. And I was like, what are we doing? This is where. <laughs> Where's the hype? <laughs> Where's the hype? Where's the hype? Like nobody's talking about Aaron Blanchfield. Yeah. And yet we're getting more minus 400. So the, the odds makers understand this is a bad matchup for Molly. I think she gets taken down a bunch. You look at the three losses in the UFC. They're all to grapplers, Jillian Robertson, Tyler Santos, and, and Laura Procopio. Blanchfield is as good or better than all of them on the ground. As you said, if she doesn't get it there, it gets a little dicey. It can be a little tricky. But I think even if you don't want to play the, and I, I love your submission suggestion, even if you just want to look at finish or decision, both are good numbers. Both are reasonable numbers for somebody that's a minus 400 favorite, right? If I can double up on a decision at plus 100, which is where most of these fights in this division tend to go, great. And if I then, you know, hedge a little bit with a finish at just shy of plus 200, get the outcome that I think is going to happen most of the time that everybody seems to think 
is going to happen most of the time while also staying away from that minus 400 that isn't appealing at all. Yeah, I don't, I really don't understand what, you know, uh, her management or even what the UFC was thinking in terms of lining her up in this spot. Yes. Okay. It's MSG. It's great and all, but like you're, you're kind of stoking or, or you're, you're putting out the fire that she's created over the last couple of fights. I mean, I think you're hoping to beat the up and comer, right? The local, yeah. like Aaron, Aaron Blanchfield is, is born and raised in New Jersey, trains in the city, trains in New York. This is a home game for her. I think, I think the look is, and I mean, Aaron Blanchfield's ranked ahead of her, right? She's a yeah. couple spots ahead of her in the rankings. And so we beat this young up and comer and show that it's for real. Then we're on to bigger and better. But I feel like there were some, some matchups that were a little more favorable, a little more reasonable to maybe get the same result that they were looking for here. Yeah. Well, we're both on the Aaron Blanchfield side. I think Molly's going to go back to just fighting in Europe against uh, Tomato Kansas. She can go out there and spinning back elbow. Uh, but Aaron Blanchfield will continue her trudging on to that title run, which I think she will eventually in the next couple of years get there as well. All right, let's get to this next matchup. We got a middleweight matchup between Andre Petrovsky, who weighed in at 185.8 pounds. He's going up against uh, Wellington Terman, who came in at 185.2 in terms of odds, we got uh, obviously chalk here on the Philly native Andre Petrovsky, minus 195 on him, plus 165 on the Brazilian and Teixeira MMA product, uh, Wellington Terman. We can quickly scroll, uh, just get through these last couple matchups here. Um, grappler matchup, I think the stronger grappler here is going to be Petrovsky. Usually the guy with the better wrestling is the one that's able to get on top and utilize his game. That's what I think we're going to see here. This is also one of those spots where I think that we'll... Um, uh, we'll, we'll see that 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 finish come into play, right? Petrovsky has been known to slow down later in fights. Maybe that's something that Wellington take, can take advantage of, but I think he probably gets it done, uh, Petrovsky, that is, within the first 10 minutes regardless. You know, Wellington, solid fighter, a good BJJ black belt in his own right, but I think that Petrovsky pressure and style is just going to be too much for him here. Petrovsky inside the distance, but I'm looking at possibly parlaying that fight doesn't go to decision with another fight that we're going to be talking about very shortly but I'm expecting violence here with the Philly guy getting his hand raised. What about your spouse, Spencer? Yeah, all of that sounds sounds exactly right to me. I mean, I, I just think you see the momentum that, that Petrovsky has coming into this, not to take anything away from Wellington Terman. I think he's on a two-fight winning streak, but like it's Sam Alvey with a lot of point deductions and Misha Serkinov with a Hail Mary of an arm bar. And so Petrovsky's going to come out here. We've seen, we know what he can do in terms of his wrestling. He's got a little bit of pop. I think he's just the stronger overall grappler and he gets it done inside the distance. Bingo. All right, let's get to this next one. This is the, uh, I guess, earlier prelims, if that's what you guys want to call it. Uh, Otman Azaitar, what's in the bag? Coming in at 155.6. He's going up against uh, Matt, the steamroller for Volum, 154.8 for him. Uh, in terms of odds, you actually had Otman taking action throughout the week because uh, initially he opened up at plus 130. During all the fight week, this fight was uh, current, like around that pick'em line, but now he finds himself at minus one fifty, plus one thirty is uh, the return here on Matt the Steamroller for Vola, and I think we have a what is it two two construction machine things going at against each other here, right? Steamroller right. against Steamroller and a bulldozer. Yeah, I, I'm going with the bulldozer. I mean, Steamrollers are great and all, but I think the bulldozer is coming here to uh, bulldoze Matt for Vola early in this fight now. Uh, Otman makes a living off of putting guys out in that first round. And I think that's what he's going to be able to do here against Matt Favola. Should Favola survive that early onslaught, 
I think he can get his gra grappling going a little bit down the stretch and possibly even find a submission of his own. This is the fight doesn't go to decision that I was talking about that I wanted to parlay with the Petrovsky fight doesn't go to decision. I'm expecting uh, uh, Otman to knock him out round one KO. That's set plus 320. That's my official prediction, but I could absolutely see the spot where Favola grinds him into the mat and eventually finds a submission later on in this fight. We've seen Otman. When he does go deeper, his uh, productivity starts to fall off. And even though he's undefeated and he's always found a way to win, it's not against competition like Matt Favola, though. Favola will definitely make it a lot harder and, uh, of a night for him there. So official prediction, uh, Otman round one KO, but fight doesn't go to decision. Let's parlay that up with a, a couple other things on the card. What are you thinking here, Spencer? You're taking the bulldozer. I'm taking the steamroller. Ah, I, boo you. I just boo think you. like it's <laughs> it's two years off for Otman and Zaitar. As you said, the competition, like, look, 13 and 0, you win 13 straight fights. You don't slip on any banana peels. That's impressive, regardless of level of competition. But you also have to look at level of competition. And I just think that Matt Favola is, is a sturdy enough veteran that as you said if he can survive that first if he can just you know not get terrence mckinney not get sucked into a polo reyes fight i think which was his debut where he got put out in a minute like just avoid that first 90 seconds of chaos wrestle a little bit you've got the hometown crowd behind you this guy hasn't fought in two years we don't know what was in the bag just <laughs> take your time with this one matt and go and get it done. I do agree with you though on the on the inside the or doesn't go the distance. Great fight to parlay because these two dudes don't really like consulting with the judges. And so one way or another, I think this one ends inside of 15 minutes. You can have your bulldozer. I'll go with my steamroller. Uh, did you happen to catch his media day interview this week? Matt's no, I have no 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 uh Otman. Otman. No. He, did he get he, asked about the bag? Of course did he, he did. Well, well, he, okay. well the, the, the journalist, shout out to the journalist. I forgot who it was, but he goes, do you get sick of people asking you what was in the bag? And he goes, no. Like, they ask, I tell them, I don't care. Like, it is what it is. You, do you did get he your answer? Bag checked did in? he tell us he, what he, was in he, the He, like, went around it, right? Yeah. He beat around the bush, essentially. Yeah. And then the uh, journalist ultimately asked him, so what was in the bag? <laughs> and then he just, like, beat around the bush. He goes, oh, when you came in here, did they check your bags? Why do you guys want to know what's in my bags? And he goes, oh, like, you broke COVID protocols to get that bag into the, the thing. Right? Were, Apparently somebody because you worked really hard to get somebody yeah. into a fighter hotel when it's yeah. supposed to be a quarantine bubble. I wish the journalist whatever was more, in that but he bag. Didn't, yeah, he didn't press him in that much, right? Like he just said, "Oh, you broke COVID, uh, COVID protocols." He goes, "Oh, like it doesn't matter in the hotel. Hotel you go in, they they don't look in your bag. It, it is what it is. So why do I need to tell you?" And he goes, "Oh, you know, I don't get." superheroes to come give me uh go from balcony to balcony to give me a bag i'm not friends with batman and you know atman and all this type of stuff he goes but i am Atman. <laughs> i'm like okay all right good one it seemed like he won the journalists over after that because they like applauded him and stuff afterwards but uh very very sketchy nonetheless don't, again don't don't applaud fighter answers ever <laughs> that's what they're doing all day don't it seemed, uh, for that one. <laughs> ask your questions and then just move on I love it. That's a veteran in the game, folks. That's a veteran in the game. Don't stand and clap at cage side. Don't get too excited when somebody <laughs> wins. Just do your damn job. Just do your job. Exactly. I remember one of the jobs that I had with the UFC when I was working with them was to ensure that media members were not using their personal phones to take pictures and all that stuff. And I was just watching the fights the whole time, if I'm being honest. But still, <laughs> hilarious. All right. Uh, next up, we got four fights to go. We'll uh, shift on through these here. Uh, next up, 
women's strawweight division, Silvana Gomez Juarez and Carolina Kavakovic, both women weighing in at the same mark of 115.6 pounds in terms of odds. It's been a pick em line throughout this entire week. I'm leaning with the Polish fighter here, though, in Karolina Kovakovic. I think she has a little bit more tools to work with. Training down there at American Top Team, I believe that they come up with a solid enough game plan to beat a relatively one-dimensional fighter in Silvana, who's a solid striker, good power in her hands. But it's not often that we see knockouts at this uh, women's weight class of, of, of straw weight. Carolina, disciplined enough striker to stay in, you know, in in safe spots. And then when I think when, when she wants to, she could drag this fight to the ground, potentially find a submission, get this fight done with. Uh, this is another spot where I'm potentially looking at violence as the way to go as well. Uh, under two and a half, currently sitting at plus 110. If Carolina wants that finish, I think she can really get it if she gets this fight to the ground. And then on the flip side for Savannah, she has big power. If she catches Carolina somewhere, she might be able to finish her as well. But hopefully Carolina gets her hand raised here. And last thing I'll say, everybody wants to talk about Carolina, how old she is. She's 37. Savannah's turning 39 next month, folks. Get out of here with that uh, narrative. Let's go, Carolina. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a fight that doesn't go the distance. We don't see it that often in this division, as you mentioned. Um, but Savannah Gomez-Juarez got submitted in each of her first two fights, including in one where she absolutely lamped Vanessa Demopoulos. And Demo yeah. was like, okay, cool. Let me recover and grab your arm because you're leaving it out here. And yeah. look. Karolina Kovalkiewicz, it hasn't been great the last bunch of fights, the last bunch of years, dating back to her first appearance at Madison Square Garden. I think she gets the win that she didn't get then. And I think she gets a finish. Like, you want to give me plus 700 on a round one finish? Yes, please. Just, <laughs> just yes, please. Just, you know, there's three fights for Silvana Gomez-Juarez. Two of them ended in the first round. I will take plus 700 on that. I will take the finish at plus 300. Give me the veteran that has been in there with infinitely better competition who looked very good last time out against Felice Herrig. Like it hadn't been good before that, but she looked good against Felice. And you can say Felice was one foot out the door and all of those things. Felice Herrig ready to retire is still a better fighter than Silvana Gomez Juarez. And so inside the distance, finish, sub, whatever you want to find, whatever you like best for Karolina Kovalkiewicz, all feels worth it to me. I love it. And, and even, even the money, money line at a pick. Yeah, yeah exactly. even the money line at a pick them. Exactly. I'm glad we're on the same wave like with that one as well. All right. Let's get to this next matchup. It takes place in the men's featherweight division. It might essentially be a catch weight now, considering that Mike Trezano weighed in at 147.6. He gives up uh 20% of his purse, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Sungu Choi coming in at 145.6. That guy, I don't know how he makes weight, considering how long and slender that man is, but he makes the weight. In terms of odds, you got Choi coming in at minus 170, plus 145, the return on Michael Trezano. Uh, Sung Woo Choi, uh, very, you know, he's reliable at times. Like, he has a very clean Muay Thai game, good striking game, throws in combinations, uh, unless Alex Caceres is able to jump on his back and uh, strangle him. But I think that he'll be able to stay uh, in, in good uh, graces here against a guy Mike Trezano who looks to be compromised going into this matchup. It's not a good look for him to miss weight the way that he did. Uh, it seems like Trezano, whenever he can get outstruck, he just falls way far behind. Hakeem Duwado tripled him up on strikes. Uh, Lucas Almeida doubled him up on strikes and then knocked him out. Uh, Sungu Troy, I think he puts the finesse on him here, outstrikes him, puts the numbers on him, puts the volume on him, and takes home a decision victory. What do you think, Spencer? Yeah, a lot of a lot of those exact same things. I mean, you look at that last fight against Lucas Almeida. You mentioned the Hakeem Dawadu fight. 
for some reason, I always thought of Mike Trezano as more of a wrestler than he actually is. And so my, every time I thought about him and, and thought about his fights, I was like, oh, well, he can get in and he can wrestle here. He doesn't wrestle. He's a Tiger Schulman guy. He's a, he's a striker through and through and a low volume striker at that. And so I just think we see Sung Woo Choi, as you said, go out and it's, it's just more volume. So long as he doesn't make any of the mistakes that he made in the fight with Alex Caceres, that being an illegal knee, which I, I'm pretty sure just like shook him completely of like, oh my God, I just did this thing that was terrible. And then Alex Caceres was like, cool, you're not focused. I'm going to take your back and take your neck. I don't think Mike Trezano has that in them. That weight cut looked like a, I tried to do everything in my power to get to 146 and couldn't. This isn't one of those like, oh, look, I came in at 149. I feel great tomorrow. That was, I tried really hard and it didn't work out. I think he did one of these of like, I'm done at 145. I think that that leads and lends to Sung Woo Choi being, being the right pick here. Yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same page there as well. I've been a Trezano fan in the past, but he's very much fumbled the bag over the last couple of fights. But I think that uh, he'll unfortunately have to do it one more time here against Sung Woo Choi. All right, two fights left. This one I'm very intrigued to hear your thoughts about. We got Julio Arce and Montel Jackson fighting in the bantamweight division, both of them making 135.8 pounds in terms of odds you got. The usual chalk on Montel Jackson. He's coming in at minus 200, plus 170, the return on Julio Arce, uh, a teammate of Mike Trezano over there at Tiger Showman, uh, their, their gym, famed Muay Thai gym over there. Um, you know, I've been a big Montel Jackson fan. The guy's, unfortunately, he's just always at chalk, right? JP Bates, he's like minus 500 there. Uh, Jesse Strader, he's like a minus 700 there. Felipe Clark, minus 500 again, right? Uh, it's all due to his athleticism and his freak, like, just just build, right? The guy has Francis Ngannou-type hands. That's always the narrative going into his matchups. And he translates that power as well, right? I believe in his last two fights alone, he's had six knockdowns. I'll never forget the JP Bays fight because I had a ton of money on that fight to go under two and a half rounds. But JP Bays, for some goddamn reason, keeps holding on to that Kimura anytime Montel Jackson followed him to the ground. Like, how do you knock him down four times and not know to stay up the second, third, and fourth time so that he has to get back to his feet so that you can knock him down again and not get tied up on the ground? Goddamn you, Montel Jackson. But either way... uh, Great athlete, but I think when he starts fighting guys that are better, uh, technically speaking, that's where he starts to find trouble, right? Ricky Simone, way too early in his career for a match like that. Brett Johns cashed that plus 180 underdog, where he's a much scrappier, uh, 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 wrestler and grappler in that matchup. Now you're getting a different stylistic approach here from Julio Arce, who will likely be the more disciplined and technical striker here. And if he can stay away from that big power early, which I think he can, I think he can touch up Montel Jackson from distance and get that volume on him, get that output on him, and take home on judges' uh, decision. I got in on him at plus 175. I think he's a great underdog in the spot. Montel Jackson, the guy that has kind of benefited from hype in the past but when he's taking steps up in competition he doesn't really showcase the best of his ability so i'm hoping for a similar thing here cash brett johns last time hoping i can cash julio Arce as well this time what do you think it's uh spencer i mean it's a great play it's the absolute right read like julio Arce is a guy that is legitimately a perfect litmus test for a guy like montel jackson at this point we've seen him beat fighters of this caliber and in this spot before super technical Super well-rounded, just able to do, as you said, the technical, the smart, the fundamentally sound stuff that can be challenging for someone like Montel Jackson, who for all of the upside just doesn't seem to be active enough. He's not active enough for me. Like this is only his eighth fight. 
It's been in the UFC now four years. Like it's just not, I think the talent is there. And I think this could be, this could be the moment where Montel Jackson really shows out and he gets that win over a veteran guy that we're like, okay, now he's, now he's ready to move forward in this division that is just absolutely loaded. But it's the, it's the right play looking at the other side of it because I can see the exact same things you're talking about. The Brett Johns fight was way too early. Ricky Simone was way too early. We've seen those guys continue to be the talents that they are. It's been, again, another year that Montel Jackson hasn't fought. Those things, with some fighters, it's, it's not an issue. When you're in this developmental stage, when you're still in this like relatively young to the sport, being on the sidelines for a year is tough. You just, you lose some of that timing. You lose some of that momentum. As great as he looked against JP Bays, that decision-making, as you said, of not letting him just back up and being like, cool, I'm going to knock you down again. And eventually the referee will be like, yeah, we're not letting you get knocked down anymore. It's a good spot to, to play that underdog. I don't think there's anything really appealing on the Montel Jackson side of things. I do think he wins, but in terms of, in terms of plays, the underdog side is the right side. I love it. I love it. I love it. Glad we're on the same side there. All right. One fight left. And I believe he was the last fighter on the scale as well. Thankfully, he makes the weight. Nikolai Negumerian, who comes in at 206 pounds. He's going up against the City Kickboxing product, who's going to be opening the card and hoping to get that momentum going nice and early. Carlos Alberg coming in at 205.2. In terms of odds, minus 130 on Carlos Hallberg, plus 110 to return on Nikolai Negomerianu. Uh, fun fight here. You know, Nikolai, uh, we kind of talked about it at the top of the show. Um, I, I really didn't think I'd be a fan of this guy after he lost that fight to Saperbank Safarov because I really think that Safarov was one of the worst light heavyweights to ever uh, step foot inside the octagon. But Negomerianu bounces back four straight wins now, showing off his toughness, showing off his grittiness. Uh, I think that comes to comes into play here against Carlos Alberg. Now Alberg, he needs a clean fight, right? He he can't go through another Kennedy and Zechuku type fight where he gets pushed to the brink and eventually gets finished. He needs you know somebody like Fabio Schrant who's going to do absolutely nothing in the cage so that he can just touch him up from the outside and win a 15 minute de decision or a guy who has now suspect durability like Tafan and Chukwi and he can just bonk him in that first minute minute of the fight and just get him out of there. Nega Marianu, from all accounts thus far, seems to have very solid durability. He does a good job in terms of pushing his opponents back, keeping them on their heels, making it dirty in the clinch, landing a couple of takedowns when he needs to, but just always pushing forward and just always keeping his opponents uncomfortable. I don't think Carlos is used to that, and I don't think he'll thrive very much in that. Now, he is the better mixed martial artist, don't get me wrong. Very high-level kickboxing, and it's obviously going to showcase here. I'm kind of banking on that durability of Nega Mariano to stay in this fight so that he can wear down uh, Carlos the later that it goes, drag this fight uh, maybe to the ground, just keep it in the clinch, keep it in close quarters where he can rough, off, rough up Alberg while wearing on that gas tank and then pull off a decision victory. So I got in at plus 105. You know, it's plus 110 now, so not a big line movement there at all. But I do think that the, the greediness of uh, Nego Mariano will show off here so that he can get his hand raised via decision. What about yourself? You think City Kickboxing kicks it off with a dub here, or do they have to pick uh, pick up the pieces that Carlos Alberg left in the octagon? First and foremost, shouts for nailing every one of those names. Hey, John Anik is my, my idol, my friend. Shouts I, I know. for nailing. Listen, <laughs> it's a it's a pet peeve of mine. I was actually talking about it with my wife this morning. Yeah. Of like the importance of nailing names. You got all you got a Nega Marianu in there. You got cool. an Zechiku in there. You got a <laughs> Tefan and Chukwi, even with hey. the N Chukwi. Like shouts, man. Good job. Appreciate it. You mentioned Carlos Alberg being the better 
mixed martial artist. I disagree with that point, but agree on everything else. I think Carlos Alberg is the better kickboxer, hands down, but everything else isn't there. Like, give me Nega Marianu using his wrestling. Give me him using that grit and that sandpaper. Very similar to what we saw in the Ihor Pretoria fight. Okay, cool. We can strike a little bit and I'll take some of your shots, but mostly I'm going to run you into this wall and grind on you a little bit. And then I'm going to drag you to the canvas and you're going to get tired. And I'm going to punch you in the head a bunch and soften you up and find a finish. I just, to me, Carlo, you nailed what Carlos Alberg needs. He needs that clean fight. He needs that range. He needs that space to throw the long jab. All the power shots are terrific, but he's kind of, he's, he's figured out that he needs to be lower volume because the Kennedy and Zechiku fight showed that even at high volume, there's some of these guys that you just can't get out of there. And now Kennedy's a special case because that dude can take redonkulous amounts of punishment. But I just think like Negu Mariano knows not to give this dude space, not to give him the opportunity to get those kicks off. I think he and Sergey Spivak, who fights next week, have grown by leaps and bounds since training in, in Las Vegas at Extreme Couture, working together a lot, being that sort of Moldovan connection or Romanian-Moldova connection. Of, of just learning to use that wrestling and play to their strengths. You mentioned getting it at, at plus 105. I got it at plus 125. Wow. So I'm happy about that. You get me a finish in there as well. Start the night with an underdog. City kickboxing can build up and, and recover by the end of the night. The last three guys can get their wins, but I don't think Alberg gets one. There we go. Three and one for city kickboxing, according to me and Spencer, but which is still, I mean, it's not bad. As you said, NZ takes over NY three and one is still pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Two and two, then we're getting shaky, but three and one. Exactly. Three and one. You still win the series. Exactly. Still a dub. All right. We got two things left to do before we get on out of here. The first of which is I'm going to allow Spencer to drop any plugs that he wants anywhere that you guys can find him. I did make it easy for you guys to follow his Twitter account because the link is in the description below. Just click that and then click follow. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to type anything in, for God's sakes. So make sure you guys follow my guy, Spencer. The guy's been an OG in the game for the last several years. Please show him the respect and uh, you know love that he deserves. So make sure you guys go follow him there. Uh, Spencer, anything else where you want people to find you or where they can find your content at? I mean, first and foremost, thank you for putting the link there because that is the easiest way to do it. Go follow the Twitter at Spencer Kite. I try to tweet out everything. I'm getting old and I'm forgetting stuff these days. <laughs> Your fingers I gotta start. Nibble. I gotta start doing the like scheduled tweets because everything gets put <laughs> into a system, and then I just gotta schedule them as soon as I'm done so I don't get distracted <laughs> and then forget. It's also because I work on Irish time now, and it's ah. all at their time and not my time. And so, go follow the boys at Severe MMA. Um, doing tons of work. Follow their YouTube as well. All of my stuff is up there. Um, yeah, that's that's the easiest way to do it is just follow the Twitter. I'm on there as much as I can be. I'm sending all the stuff out. We're retweeting all this severe stuff, all of my stuff from UFC.com and, and the great stuff that the rest of that team is doing. Follow our guy, Locke. Follow everything oh, he's thanks. doing. Thanks, Doc. Follow the crew. I know Cody was on yesterday. <laughs> yes, just sir. get it in. Go follow Dan Stuff. Shouts to Dan. Yes, Dan the man. Got to give Dan the plugs anytime you can. So yeah, thank you for having me, man. This was, this was a blast and hopefully we can do it again and and have some, some more laughs about GTA and not GTA and <laughs> all kinds of different stuff that, that most people won't understand. 
uh dude you have a like safe seat on this uh show anytime you want man you're you're one of the fun most fun uh guests that i've had and i believe our chemistry is very great as well that obviously helps the flow of the show but we like to leave the the viewers with one last thing and that's the lock of the night play right i don't have my 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 channel name mma lock of the night and i don't don't drop locks and i know that's a taboo word within the betting community fuck y'all <laughs> you know what i mean i don't care it's a goddamn word it, it what I mean by lock is my most confident bet on the card. Is it a lot? Is there any locks in MMA? No, of course not. But it is my most confident play on the card. Given all the research and endless amount of work I do going into every single matchup, I always come out, or at least I try to come out with at least one locker that I play for every single card. This week, it was as early as Monday where I got in on Dan, the hangman hooker at minus 165. I added another unit when he got down to minus 145. If he now it seems to be trending back up to that minus 150 range. So I don't think we have to worry about that. Uh, but yeah, he's my lock of the night. Play four units at minus 164, one unit at minus 145. Load up on him at minus 150 if you can. What are you thinking? I told you when we were off here and we were talking about it, we're we're in lockstep here. Like yeah. pun intended, we're in lockstep. <laughs> I got four units on Dan Hooker at minus 160. So let's go, Hangman. Get back in the win column. Get this victory. Show everybody that, you know, signature finishes aren't a thing for, for the UFC. That's a WWE thing. Get this win. Get City Kickboxing rolling in, in this main card. And uh, get all of us some caches. I need some caches this week. I need a good week. It's been rough. It's been tough out here in these streets. I need to need to hit some winners. I, I might butcher this, but would you say that we're in lock spend? There you go. There you go. <laughs> God damn it. Crickets. Fucking crickets out here. It's all good. I tried. I tried. But no, both of us on Dan, the hangman hooker, hopefully he catches for the boys this weekend because uh, I do not want to hear all the knee bar bullshit that I will next week if uh, Claudio Poyas pulls one out of his ass again. Uh, appreciate everybody that joined the show, the live chat, the live viewers. We appreciate every single one of you. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Once again, thanks to every single one of you for getting me over that 6,000 subscriber mark on YouTube. Uh, Patreon getting back up to 350 as well. Hopefully that can continue on uh, and hit that 400 mark like we did earlier this year. But it continues when we can continue to cash our bets. And it's been pretty good over the last couple months for you boys. So we're going to hone in on that. On behalf of myself and Spencer, we appreciate you guys checking it out. Uh, good luck on your bets tomorrow. I will be back for 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow for the Fight Day live chat, hanging with you guys for an hour, uh, taking all questions, comments, and concerns that you guys have for the card. And then we're going to sit down, lock in, grab a brewski, grab some greenery as well, and enjoy the fights. Appreciate every single one of you guys. Good luck tomorrow. Peace out.